campers. It is just my last day at work this week. So, it is Saturday. Am I going to work? I am a little bit late, but I'm okay. Within the reasonable amount of tardiness. But, yeah. I was reading this book this morning. Um, shit, I want to remember, forget the guy's name. It was an ebook, so I was kind of on books, scrolling through stuff. Um, it was pretty cool, though, because he was talking about the two minds that we have. We have the, I'm going to forget this, too. We have the thinking mind and the, like, the, kind of the overwatch mind, like, the, so, like, they did this, they did this example. He says, think about a pink elephant. He says, do not think about a pink elephant. For the next 30 seconds, do not think about a pink elephant holding a blue umbrella in its trunk. And, you know, you can try this all you want, and obviously you're not going to succeed because all you can think about is a pink elephant. But essentially, there's two messages happening there. One part of your brain, which is the... So there's the thinking brain... Is a thinking brain. This is basically um, hidden ego. Um, but you got your subconscious mind in, in Freudian dialect, I believe. And I, I'm sure that I'm getting this absolutely wrong, but it was a very interesting perspective because, anyways, um, you got your unthinking mind that is naturally thinking about this. It's kind of like a horny dog on a leash with, you know, all the lady dog walks walking by. It's like, oh, 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 And it's just going to be straining at its leash all day. And you can't really control it. You cannot control it. Somewhat. This is like when you try to meditate and just be like, okay, I need to clear the mind of these cluttered thoughts. And then you start thinking about, you know, your great aunt's birthday that's coming up next week and how she, you have no idea what to buy her for a gift and it hits her 90th birthday and you're like, fuck! You know, so it's something like that. Um, so you have your unthinking brain that is just raving around all day and it does this all the time, even when we're sleeping, which is probably where dreams come from. And you've got your thinking brain, brain, or your, I forget what the phrase that he was, it was like over thought or something. No, it wasn't that. Um, but he's the, he, he looked at it and he said, what is watching your brain, telling your brain to not think about a pink elephant? So you've got two brains working on, two minds. And he's like, so the, in essence, what happens is when we, this is the, this is the meat of the point that I, I'm trying to make is, when he says, I am sad, or I am depressed, or I don't want to do this, what happens is those two brains are then fused, and they identify with each other, or they don't identify with each other. Sorry. So if I'm sad, the fact that I just said that is fantastic. Um, I said, I am, if I am sad, the distinction we need to make now, there's no way you're going to get over being sad without changing something. So there's no real problem with being sad. I'm not saying sad is a negative. But the, the distinction that needs to be made, though, is your overthinking brain or your, your unthinking brain is jumping to the sadness part and being like, I'm sad. 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 Saying it enough time so that you believe it. <coughs> so that your actual thoughtful brain is sitting there being like, oh, yeah, I'm sad. 
Whereas if you can stop and make that distinction, this is as far as I got in the book. If you can make that distinction and say, I am or I feel sadness. I feel sadness. I feel regret. I feel intimidated. I feel whatever. All of a sudden, you're not wrapping your entire identity up into that thought process, which we all know. I mean, I, guys, I've got a pregnant wife at home. Please help me understand. If you haven't, don't have kids or have never dealt with a pregnant woman, emotions are all over the place. They're everywhere. You know, that's the gig. That's, that's what happens. Um, so emotions are not the identity of you. Emotions are just emotions. And they're like, I feel sad. I feel as though I'm, you know, overly worried. I feel, you know, fear and worry are things that are going to happen no matter what. But if we can distinction and distance ourselves from them, some between the fear and the worry, it's such an amazing thing. It's really cool. So I, I enjoy it. I like it a lot. Um, I thought it was really just a mind-bending, like, thought process. And I, I notice it because I, I when, I'm, when I'm refereeing and somebody says, you know, and this might be a, a, obviously a meld of the two, but if I blow up a penalty, um my brain then focuses on the next play, on what's happening next, and literally almost disregards that penalty. So if somebody comes up to me, like, 10 seconds after blowing up a penalty, sir, what was that penalty for? Uh, uh what? And then I'm like, hey, give me a second, I'll, I'll come back to you. And I, I, you know, go to the next play, and I'm like, oh, that's what it was for. I have to rethink about it and rehash it, but it's, I don't know, that was kind of a weird perspective that I was like, oh, I, I do that, I definitely do that. So... I guess the point that I'm, I mean, if there is a point I'm trying to make, and I'm not sure there is, um, the thing that I have been realizing more and more is that our brain is out to fuck with us. So if our brain is trying to convince us of not doing something or different things, and which it always does, it's very much something that our brain is our enemy. Our brain is our worst enemy. For example, I'm a barber, and I I cut hair, and we live in a majority of a a Caucasian town, so I don't cut a lot of black hair. It's just a different different style of cutting hair. I've never really done it, though, so I'm very inexperienced with it. So when when, a black guy walks in the door, nicest guy in the world, I freak out because I'm like, oh, man, I have to do the haircut. I'm freaking out and all these different things, and it's like I don't know what to do, and I'm paralyzed, and I have to stop and be like, I feel fear because I don't want to muck the guy's hair up. I want to make it look awesome. I don't know how. I feel intimidated. I feel these different things. So I need to go back to my training and go back to, you know, asking help from another guy who knows how to do it and all these different things so that I can unfreeze myself and not fuse those two together and be like, I am paralyzed with fear over cutting this guy's hair who's like the nicest guy in the world. It's not that hard. It's not that difficult. You just got to get that humble pie going and be like, okay, moving on. Let's go. Um, and make the guy feel comfortable. Don't let him be, you know, drawn into your paralytic fear. You know? So I just think it's interesting just to kind of look at your brain and be like, okay, you're trying to fuck with me here. You're trying to. You're trying to drag me down into this, you know, tailspin or something. And then you can be like, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be dragged that way. I am not. That is not my identity. When you say, I, I, I'm afraid, I am. I'm feeling fear. I don't know. Interesting distinction. 
just something to, I don't know, try out throughout your day. When you, when you really like, I am bummed or I am depressed. I feel depression. I feel different things like that. But I get to choose how I respond. My action is my choice. So I think it's pretty cool. All right. Now, with this, we are going with identifying feedback. Um, task one under five examples of what you as a referee have worked on in the past and how you address these points. That's relatively basic. So what have you worked on in the past? My secondary signals. How did you do it? I motioned in the mirror the five top penalties and kind of worked my way through the rest for two minutes a day. Awesome. My secondary signals improved. So huzzah. Um, what? My whistle tone. I went out in a park and I blew, whist- you know, how, what did I need to work on in the past? My whistle tone. I went out to a rugby park and practiced with a team and worked on my whistle tone. And I, afterwards I blew the whistle and people yelled at me and laughed at me and I don't really care. Um, what did you need to work on in the past? Um, positioning. Okay. I, before a game, I went onto the pitch where they were and I imagined I visualized the plays of what they were doing I don't know what they were doing I just made up plays in my mind but I visualized that they're going to do a banger to the left where do I want to stand what am I going to check for bang there's a release tackle release clean breakdown scan for the offsides and balls away am I in the way no okay good where do I want to be for the next breakdown how do I want to approach it you know you run through five or six phases you turn around you run through five or six phases put your finger over the tab of the whistle and you blow a couple penalties doing your secondary signals you work everything in so that you are visualizing the shit that happens um, this is all very basic stuff that I mean, just kind of, you know think about it so module 3 planning chapter 3 referee support um, self-analysis, self-reflection, matching match goals, performance review. Um, this is all, this is all amazing stuff. Like really, this is you, but what it is, is it, you, it stems from you understanding yourself. So if you are doing your journal, which I talked about, um, if you are doing your self-analysis, if you are doing your self-reflection, if you are doing your match goals and going back and looking at them, this is all very simple stuff. You know, referee support comes from outside of you, but if you have this machine working for you and you are looking at it saying, I'm setting goals for my fitness, I'm setting goals for what I want on the, in, on the pitch, I'm setting goals for player buy-in, I'm setting goals for different things like that, then this is largely secondary. It can be very incredibly helpful, but if you have that, that is your foundation that you draw from, that you, that you go on. Um, I mean, self-analysis, self-reflection, and match goals are you. You can do your own performance review. It's, it is immeasurably helpful getting an outside perspective and getting a more experienced perspective in some cases. It is so amazing to get that. Um, and it really does, you know, kick you in the pants and be like, okay, I actually suck there. Um, if you do that, it, it, it's amazing. But if you don't have the self-reflection and the self-knowledge of where you're at and what you're doing and you're not willing to do that work, it will, you will, what, what will happen is they will give you a recommendation or a suggestion 
and you will go follow that suggestion, but you'll end up not having the foundation to be like, okay, what do I actually need to change here? I need to be faster off my feet. I am the one who needs to visualize these things. I'm the one who needs to go back and do the work and say, what is my process at the breakdown? And then the thing is, you need to know your process at the breakdown. You can't just be like, what's my process at the breakdown? You know, for example, like I struggled with, I mean, I was told that I was slow off the lineup. I, and the thing is, like, as a scrum half, I always struggle with this because I would make this really nice pass and I'd be like, damn, that's a good ball. Wow. Like, I would catch it, carry on, and I'd be like, fuck! Suddenly I'm 20 yards behind the play and I got to get to the next breakdown and the guy's getting tackled and I'm like, and I just started my feet moving then. Shit. So, the process that I've got is just, got, I've got to be like, okay, I needed to be like, I need to throw the ball, whether I know where it's going or not, and then move. And oftentimes I would get there too quick, and I need my guys to break, like, clean out the ball, and sometimes I'd get into the position and do the wrong thing, which is fine. But I, the first prior promise problem that I had was I wasn't moving my ass. My ass was stuck in the sand. So I was like, okay, I've got to move. I've got to move. So... The moment I threw the ball, I worked it in in practice. So this is a problem that I had. How did I work on it? I did it in practice. You know, I passed the ball and I moved. You know, I set up a bunch of balls and like I had my 10 kind of work with me. And I just said, okay, dude, here's the deal. I'm going to go here. I'm going to run here, pass you the ball and follow you, loop you and connect with you. That's, that's my plan. I'm gonna, you know, just do that repeatedly. And he was like, okay. And we just worked on that. And that's what we did for like 10 minutes. And then the next practice, I said, dude, we're doing it again. He's like, okay. And so we did that repeatedly. And it was just, it worked really well. Um, So I think that with this process of improvement and referee support, I think it is very vital that you have the foundation of yourself. Um, So this is one segment from the referee support. Many unions have few, if any, qualified referee coaches and often rely on visiting coaches for the support. Um, the result is that the union, its referee society or association and the rugby community have to take every opportunity to utilize the educator's skills, resources, etc. when one is available. Likewise, the referee coach has to have the skills to guide the remote referees individually and as a group to this end. However, self-analysis is also just as important when the referee is receiving regular or intermittent coaching. The referee coach is supplying information, advice, and encouragement, but is the referee who is responsible for accumulating, absorbing, and analyzing that feedback on an ongoing and long-term basis. This leads us to two different methods which should be adopted to cover both these situations, self-analysis and peer support. There it is. It's almost like I thought about that for a little bit. Um, So try to always address the following questions when you're asking them. What are specific areas of my performance I need to address? Competencies. It's recommended that only the high incidence competencies be given preference initially until more experience has been gained. Here, tackle, ruck, scrum, and safety in particular. Safety in particular, control and advantage are here are probably the most com- components of significance. So there we go. We go back to the journal that I wrote up, and you have management, tackle, ruck, scrum, lineout, stuff like that. You go from there. Um, one great question that they have here is, what's the real problem? Do we always see the cause when we analyze refereeing performances? What's the real problem? Possible causes? 
I think it's a good question just to think about, you know, even coaches can get that wrong. They think about different things and they get it wrong. So, all right, guys, I'm going to go to work. I'll talk to you later. What's up, guys? I'm not going to lie. Thinking about that, that the two minds thing, I noticed that I had a couple emotions that kind of tried to sweep in and like kind of hijack what I was doing and what I was thinking about. And um, it was very helpful to be like, hey, I'm not going to do that. Um, learning and training. So we talk, left it off on what is the real problem. So if we're able to analyze what the real problem is, the possible causes. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it was really interesting just to kind of go through that. Um, and basically, they're now they're going through um, different things and really just kind of fine-tuning the journal that I put forward. Um, so it's kind of cool. It's cool to, to do that. Um, chapter 4, Mental Preparation. Um you have worked out the components of mental toughness and have identified common problems in that area so that you can avoid them on your own pathway. The module will help you to understand some key behaviors which will help elevate some alleviate, never, never announce that word, alleviate some of the typical underlying mental challenges to best perform. Uh, mental components from refereeing. Shakespeare, there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Anonymous says, if all else is equal, why do your performances fluctuate? That's a good point. Um, the following key points definition. Goal setting leads to correct motivation, which leads to good attitude, which leads and results in commitment and confidence in the goal. Four components of mental toughness, which are confidence, control, concentration, and commitment. The four C's. Oh, boy. So, commitment. I'm going to... This is a heavy reading one. So, guys, the whole purpose of this is to work out mental toughness and find how you can drill that down into a definable work, work towards mental toughness basically um, so commitment uh, determining your aims and ambitions know where you are heading well that's a, that's a good one I'm not going to lie about that that's a good understanding of your goals um, again this all stems from being honest with yourself and being able to do that um, identify conflict and goals so one thing I look at here is you could do a SWOT assessment. It's S-W-O-T, if you look it up. It's strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So you look at the situation of where you are and where you know kind of you want to be. So the strengths of what you do as a human being and as a referee. Bang, go from that. Weaknesses, where am I weak? So if I, for example, if I was looking at myself refereeing, my strengths are I have good people management and I excel at the breakdown. My weaknesses would be fitness and scrums. And I'm a little bit rusty. I've been out of the game for a while. Opportunities. Um, one time I did this, it was an opportunity that I could go to... Um, oh, I, I'm right over the border from Canada. And there's some excellent rugby that happens over in Ontario. And so I just... That was an opportunity for me. Uh, one of the threats... We're speaking past tense about where I was. Um, one of the threats was that barbering is a Saturday-heavy business. I just finished my day for the day. It is 4.30. 
and I and it's a Saturday afternoon and this is when I know I get off work and it's a commitment that I have to make because you know as I've said before there are you know I, I don't get to work I have to work on Saturdays that's kind of it um, so I just look at that and be like hey this is this is the game that I do um, I'm not going to sacrifice my livelihood for rugby as much as I would love to um, excuse me um, so SWAT assessment and the threat would be hey I need to work on Saturdays for a barbershop eventually and I was warned about that a long time ago so that's the challenge that I've got to face um, what else Wills so just do a SWAT assessment of your commitment of where you are as a human being um, so that would probably grade your commitment pretty well um, another thing another question to ask when you think about commitment is what are you willing to sacrifice Everybody wants to be the best in the world, but what are they willing to sacrifice? The best in the world get up at 4 a.m. every day. They do all these things that they really don't, normal people would look at and be like, that's too hard. So ask the question of, you know, say you want to play an extra half an hour of video games every day. Fine. You need to find a time in your day and you need to cancel something else. If it's lack of sleep, then it's lack of sleep. If it's something else, it's something else. But you need to find that, what you're willing to sacrifice for it. Because if you're willing to struggle for it, odds are you'll do fine. We stopped. It's a green friggin' light. What the hell? We're in the middle of Main Street. It's a green light, and somebody stopped in front of us. Green. Go for it. Idiots. Anyways, um, what do you want to sacrifice for? Like, for example, if I look at this and say, you know, rugby... If I refereed on Saturdays, I would be giving up my Saturdays. But the other aspect of it was I looked at my boss and he said, look, you need to be here for on Saturdays. And I said, well, what happens if I don't? And he looked back at me and he said, then you would go down to part time, which means that I would go from, let's say for the sake of the example, making 50 to making 25. All of a sudden, my family can't, I mean, we could live on it, but it would be very difficult. It would be a lot to give up. Therefore... I'm not willing to give that up. If we can get a game on Friday night or Sunday, I am all in for it, you know. But that's the factors that I've got to consider. Um, so that's just commitment. What level of commitment? What are you willing to sacrifice for? It is a great question to consider your commitment and do the SWOT assessment. Uh, control. Know yourself and your key strong behaviors. Make a profile of yourself and strengthen your control of your behaviors. Deal in facts, not in feelings. This is good. Um, top athletes talk about ability to differentiate between real facts and emotional thinking. They work on the ability to concentrate on the facts. Going back to the idea of I am not my emotion, I am feeling this emotion. That's not who I am. I am feeling angry, I am feeling sad, I am feeling mad. Fantastic stuff. Um, keep in the moment. Work on the here and now rather than the past and the future. It includes avoiding defeatist thinking and that mistake will cost me future appointments. That doesn't help you. Um, circle of excellence theory visualize a moment that you have been in or aspire to so like refereeing the world cup final when you were at the top of your game e.g. last season by closing your eyes and clenching your fist you can practice bringing up this memory in your conscious state reminding yourself of how you felt and acted under as though you are in this performance how you felt oh sorry uh, reminding yourself of how you felt and act and act as, and, but then act as though you were in this performance state 
When you're under pressure on the field, you can recall this state by taking just a moment to get into it. Um, okay, I see what you're saying. You basically kind of like create a trigger for yourself to be like, all right, I'm living this moment. I'm visualizing, performing at an incredibly high level. That state of kind of zen where we just get in the zone and we just do the important things and that's it. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm for it. Um, I've never really done that. I, I've definitely done things to mentally remind yourself, like you wear a rubber band and you snap it when you kind of zone out or you start to get you know down on yourself and you have to kind of coach yourself a little bit. I think... Okay. Control. I don't, I don't really know how that applies. I, it's just kind of stay in the moment and, you know, things that you can control, control. I remember one of my goals was the referee in the World Cup. And one of the appointers was like, this is well beyond your control. You don't have, unless you're going to literally give up everything and move to New Zealand and go referee there full time and have all the gifts and have all the, you know, ins and outs, you're not going to referee the World Cup fine. Or in the World Cup at all. And, you know, that stung, and I'm like, okay, bummer. But at the same time, you can control what you can control. That's the goal, to control what you can control. And um, staying in the moment and doing that well is very important. Confidence. Confidence is a critical ingredient for success, especially in refereeing. The desire to win or achieve is one thing. The confidence to make it happen is another thing altogether. Like many things, confidence is also a fine balance between a strength and a threat. Your athlete needs to believe in him or herself, believe in being able to be in the number one, or at least act in such a way. However, it is also easy without the right action, planning to become overconfident, or suffer from a lack of confidence. So, key triggers for your performance. Okay, so basically focus on what is most important for your key triggers. That's, that's, that's what they're saying. Two is clear the clutter. Keep your mind clear of clutter. Keep your thoughts focused on the task and remove all unnecessary thoughts and actions from your day and at the pitch. That's fair. I can buy that. state. It is well proven that athletes who are relaxed and in control of their thoughts will make the best decisions in the heat of battle. The more you tend to become, the worst decision making you will become. Now, the thing that I take from this is be prepared. Key triggers your performance, clear the clutter, a relaxed state. If you have mentally visualized what the penalty is going to be, if you have asked yourself, you know what you're good at, you know what you're bad at, you know where you need to work extra hard, you know where you can coast a little bit. These are important things to understand and if you are prepared and ready to go, then the preparation will come through. There's a six P's, I think it is. Proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. So if we're properly preparing and we have confidence, then the confidence has to come from one of two things. The belief that we can do it or past successes. Now my confidence is not cockiness. 
excuse me. I, I don't believe it's cockiness. I think it's just I am confident in what I do. And I have done it enough times so that I can prepare and go for it. Um, if somebody threw me into a sevens game right now with a bunch of college players, I would be like, I am not overly confident I can keep up with this play. For 14 minutes, I would probably die. But you put me in a high school game of, you know, medium skill set, and I could probably keep up and manage it pretty well. Fitness-wise, that's, my, that's where my confidence in fitness comes from. So, different things like that that are just like, okay, is this overly important? And But that's the confidence that it comes from. It's got to come from either one of those two things, the, the past successes or the overwhelming belief that you, the belief that you can do it. Anything other than that is, it's not really, it's just false confidence. Um, concentration. Concentration is very similar to some of the other key messages. Some people suffer from jumping in and out of good concentration and focus. Others seem to hold concentration easily. Um, three points. Three points above under confidence also apply to concentration. So three points, key triggers for your performance, clear the clutter, relax state. Um, I have a switch on and switch off button. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. Learn to have a trigger, which reminds you to switch in and out when the action is starting or finished. Better referees distinguish between times they need to be switched in and when they can let concentration go. That's actually really good. I like that a lot. Um, for example, if you see yourself mentally focusing, I one trigger that I, I, I've created for myself is I ask myself, mentally or audibly, it doesn't really matter, what am I seeing? And then I kind of, I, I treat it like zooming in, zooming in and zooming out. It's not on or off, but it's zooming in and zooming out. So for example, one area that I zoom in on is when there is a tackle, tackle. Where is the release? I need their hands off the ball. I need the ball placed with their hands off the ball. You know, I zoom in for that. I find the ball. I zero in on the ball. And if you zoom in with your eyes, you know, focusing, you squint your eyes or whatever so you can see better, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, so zoom in, and then I kind of zoom out. If the ball's placed, and I kind of let my, my subconscious take over that aspect of the ball. Once there's a tackle, there's a release, the ball is clear, or beginning to be clear, the clean-out has occurred, the ball hands are, there's no hands on the ball, I can scan for offsides. When you scan for offsides, you don't need to be zoomed in. You don't need to look at the color of the, you know, outside center's bootlaces. You don't need to see that. But... You know, another thing is in, in high-impact moments, you need to zoom in. You know, when there's a big collision in the air, you need, you know, if one guy's going to get a card, you need to get his number, you need to get his color, and you need to get, you know, that's about it. Other than that, and the infraction. After that, you can zoom out a little bit, blow the whistle, separate the teams. You got 14 red, you're good. Um, so that's, that's one instance of zooming in and zooming out. Um, one way to get yourself to zoom in when you're tired and when you're unfocused, I, you know, again, like we just talked about, you can like snap your wrist or, you know, like um, whatever. It's a mental trigger that gets you into a certain mental state. You can, you know, adjust your shirt. You can tuck your shirt in. You could, you know, pull on your shirt sleeve, whatever. Um, I've got two of them that I really do. Um, one is very generic. Um, I ask myself what I'm seeing. What am I seeing? And then I zoom in to the finest details. This is the point where, like, the scrum is ready to pack down or there was a knock-on and I've called knock-on and I feel myself kind of mentally drifting. I'm like, what am I seeing? And I zoom in and I see, okay, 
right now I'm like, okay, what color is the sign of that green? How would I describe that green? What color are this guy's shoelaces? What color is a scrum cap? You know, zoom in. Is it dirty? Yes, it's dirty. You know, where is it dirtiest? Did he just fall in the mud before? Is his face dirty? No, that must have happened before the game before. You just kind of recharge your brain and ask it a bunch of, you know, like snap fire questions. Okay. And, um, you just zoom in and get detail out of your brain because what it does is it kind of just refreshes your brain and says, okay, this is the level that I can focus at. Bang, that's a, you know, those are red shoelaces. He's got green shoelaces on one. He's got white on the other. They're black boots with uh, red fading in from the toes to the boots um, with three white stripes on the side. And he's, his socks are orange with white stripes on the, you know, just bang, just sharpen, sharpen, sharpen as much as you can. And when you do that, it just kind of wakes your brain up a little bit. Just kind of says, okay, no, 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 don't fall asleep. Kind of like slapping yourself in the face, and, you know, mentally, if you will. Um, so that's one that I do. Um, and another one that I do is I've got a tattoo on the inside of my right arm. And it was, um, our grandmother is still alive, but it was, you know, for her that I got it. And it reminds me, because she's 101, she's worked her entire life. She's done all this amazing stuff. And now she gets to relax a little bit and... I, oh, I got it about four or five years ago. And I got to just kind of take my left hand and form a fist and just kind of like touch the inside of my arm because it's just a reminder to do better, to, to carry on and, and improve. You know, because she's a person who just, she never stopped working. She never, she never quit and she never complained about anything. And this woman has lived through over a century, so she gets to complain about it if she wants to. Um, so just kind of like, you know, what am I seeing? Bang, sharpen up. Okay, that's that, that, that's that, that's that. And then you can, um, I tell my, I say to myself, um, I kind of just touch that. And it reminds me to just be like, hey, let's, let's do better. Let's carry on. Let's improve. And um, I really like that one. So that's helpful for me at least. Um, those are my two that help me concentrate. And that is the end of whatever this module was. Mental focus. Mental Mental preparation and mental toughness. So, um, as a last bit, um, yeah, enjoy. I'll talk to you guys later.